the Rainmaker Evolution to increase freedom, create momentum, and embrace simplicity in your financial services practice. You're listening to the Rainmaker Evolution podcast with Joel Johnson, certified financial planner, co-founder of Johnson Brunetti, author of The Money Map, and leader of the Rainmaker Evolution Mastermind Group. And now, here's Joel. Hello, everybody. This is Joel Johnson coming to you with another Rainmaker Evolution podcast. Uh, this continues in our series of talking to other producers, talking about what's working, what's not working, how they approach their business, um, what they're, where they expect to be a few years from now, and also where they were uh, going back just a few years. And so uh, I have a very special guest with me today, a uh, guy that uh, has just been doing great coming through the first year Rainmaker group. And then, of course, he's in the elite group this year. But before we get to that, um, just the typical compliance uh, little note here. Please uh, do not do anything that is discussed on this podcast without running it through whoever your compliance people are, whether that's a broker-dealer, your insurance uh, department, uh, or uh, certainly if you're an RIA, uh, your own RIA, or your uh, insurance, excuse me, your RIA compliance people. Um, You are completely responsible on your own for your own compliance. Uh, We are not responsible for anything that's said on this podcast um, for you to go out and do something that is against your particular rules in your particular jurisdiction and come back to us. So with that said, uh, let's get into the podcast today. So today I have a very special guest, uh, Brad White. Many of you have gotten to know Brad in the Rainmaker groups. Um, you'll notice he's, he's young and he's tall, so he's everything that I kind of wish I was, um, and I'm not young or tall anymore. Um, but we're going to get real deep into Brad's business. But before we do that, um, Brad, I'd like you to just uh, say who you are. Who are you as a person? Who are you as a professional? So introduce yourself to the group here. Yeah, thanks, Joel. And uh, I mean, man, what an honor uh, it is to be uh, on this podcast, um, joining Advisors Excel only about three years ago. I've always just admired every single person that's been in the group with me and yourself certainly at the top of that list. And so to be on this is certainly an honor. Hopefully I can add some value um, the way that everyone's always added value for me. Um, Really, I'm just uh, born and raised in San Diego, very blue-collared family, uh, very close to my parents, only child. Financially, we never really had a lot, and um, I think I had a passion, and I tell my story about having a passion about finances, even as a kid, just kind of seeing some of the struggles um, that my parents would go through, not really having any financial education or anybody in their corner to help with. And so I developed passion for finances, um, as strange as that sounds, even as a kid. Um, Beyond that, my other passion's always been sports. I'm a huge, huge sports fan, uh, baseball, basketball, football, golf, uh, you name it, I played it all. I had a baseball career lined up, unfortunately had a couple surgeries that took place and all of that got taken away, which was kind of, uh, which is what led me to change my career focus back towards finance, get my finance degree and then start working in the industry, which was kind of 2009, late 2009, early 2010. So let me tell you, that was a wonderful time for a 22-year-old to start asking for people's money was coming out of a <laughs> the worst recession we've ever had. And, um, you know, I did the typical thing, Joel, worked at firms. Um, I worked at a firm where MetLife was a parent company, and I, I believe you had done the same in your career. And uh, I did the typical struggles, um, made all the cold calls, did all the referrals, saw a lot of unethical things going on in the brokerage world, and um, eventually found my partner uh, about three years ago, and we created an independent organization. I joined Advisors Excel, and... Um, Kind of the rest is history from there. Uh, Beyond that, I have a beautiful girlfriend and a stepson, and um, 
um, you know, definitely a family man, and um, I don't know, probably not too much more to tell other than that. Great. And just so everybody knows, um, we were all honored to finally actually have Dave Epstein, your business partner, show up at an event. Uh, I, I had met him out in Italy on the Elite trip last year, but it was great to have him uh, come to the Rainmaker Elite, and uh, he's, he's just a great guy. I got to know him a little bit uh, in Italy. So you're in a partnership, like many advisors listening to this call, especially, um, you know, the higher-end producers at Advisors Excel. Um, we tend, when you look behind the curtain, there's there's a lot of partnerships there that, that sometimes we don't know exist. So I think uh, maybe we can get into that a little bit later, um, because I think it's exciting that you... I also think it's interesting that, that many of us started out in these either career life insurance oriented type systems like you mentioned MetLife or brokerage firms where we've learned how difficult this business can be and we have tremendous gratitude for how great it can be and how I don't want to say easy but how automatic uh, maybe that's even the wrong word it, it can be once things are going well and I think there's a lot to be gained you know as we look at who to bring on as associate producers in our firm there's a lot to be said for people that have been in systems that are tough and hard where you're cold calling, you're marketing on referrals, you're calling mortgage leads, you know, you've got, you're around crusty old veterans that are bitter about the business and all the things that we learn that really makes us appreciate what we have now. Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, I probably like most people wanted to quit every single day the first probably year, year and a half. Um, but you can call it pure stubbornness. You can call it whatever you want. Luckily, that didn't happen. And, uh, you know, if it, it's one of those careers, Joel, where you get thrown into the deepest of the deep end as soon as you can. And most people drown. But if you happen to swim, uh, you tend to swim a lot faster than maybe some other people that got fed leads when they started this industry or, or that were in somehow, some way, a great uh, situation when they first started their career. I think there is a lot to be said for that appreciation that I know I have, which is people actually coming into my office that I didn't have to chase or hunt down. I mean, it's, it, it's just, it still kind of blows me away sometimes when you see how full the calendar is without having to do those things you used to do. So Brad, go back five years from today. So it's March of 2011. Were you still in that MetLife controlled firm or had you left and gone independent at that point? No, actually, the first firm I worked for was before that MetLife firm, and this was a real kind of a smaller independent brokerage firm. It cleared through SagePoint, but, um, you know, at the time, I was only about a year, a little more than a year, kind of full-time being my own advisor, and, I mean, you want to talk about our little rinky-dinky shop. Um, nobody was really hiring coming out of the recession, and I just had to try to find a place to hang my licenses and just get my feet wet in the industry. And so um, I did really well just kind of on pure referrals and phone calls my first six months or so to the point where they turned me into a registered principal. So I got my Series 24 license at that time, and I started hiring and recruiting and training other people on kind of how to do what I was doing. And I just really didn't like a lot of the things I was seeing in that firm, a lot of unethical people just, you know, hawking uh, variable annuities and high commissional products without caring about clients at all and kind of churning them over. And so that's where I eventually, um, let's say about six months after that, um, joined that MetLife firm beyond that. Um, actually, it was after that point. But I was still at my first firm um, at yes. that point. I mean, it, So when did you leave that, that agency-type controlled firm, that MetLife firm, and, and go off on your own? Or was there another step? Give us kind of just the evolution. So you, you were with the independent firm, then you joined the MetLife-controlled firm, and then where did you go from there? Yeah, so I'm at the MetLife control firm. I was actually really happy. I got uh, vaulted quicker than most people did there to their senior planning team, where not only was I still running my own business, 
uh, managing about 22 other advisors underneath me and helping them and getting some overrides on them, but also getting some leads from uh, MetLife leads themselves from, from companies. So I'm at this firm. I'm happy. I'm doing well. I've already moved once, and I get a phone call um, from somebody who's working at a mass mutual agency. And the phone call essentially said, you know, we've got this guy, Dave Epstein, um, who's his own independent company, but he, he's housed here in our firm. Um, the guy has his own radio show. He's a phenomenal producer, but he's more of a fixed-only guy. And his uh, partner here at our firm is this guy named Matt, and Matt's an investment advisor and a manager for the firm, but he's going to leave soon to go own another firm, and we're trying to find replacements, and we want to know if you'd be interested. You know, now having just moved recently, that was a tough mental thing to say, wow, am I really going to pick up and move again, you know, a year later? But I like to think I'm smart enough to not, you know, completely turn down a good situation, and that's always my attitude is to at least, you know, hear things out. And I did. And so Dave and I had several conversations over a period of a few months. He interviewed me and several other people and eventually landed on me to want to work with. And, um, you know, Dave was 60 at the time. I was, what, 25 at the time. And so I looked at it as a tremendous opportunity for me to just really go in, um, provide a lot of value, and maybe get a huge kind of boost into the industry that I otherwise wouldn't have gotten. And so that's what I did. I left, went to this mass mutual agency, uh, became a principal there, worked alongside Dave. Um, and what I quickly found out is that this was not a great firm on the investment and the financial planning side of things. Um, it was around that time I was getting my CFP license. I was very, very, or, or designation, I should say. So I was very passionate about good, comprehensive financial planning and investment management. And this was kind of clearly an old, stodgy insurance firm. But after working with Dave informally for about four months, you know, he came into my office one day and, and just said, you know, Brad, uh, I've got a, I think we've got a great thing here and I'm not going to do this forever, but you're, you know, pretty phenomenal as far as what you're building for me. And his annuity sales were going through the roof because I was kind of building a plan around it for the first time. And um, so he said, what if we just left here, got our own space, and uh, we became 50-50 partners and we create this thing called Epstein and White. And we didn't create that until June 1st of 2013. So we have not quite hit three full years as officially having Epstein and White. Great. Great. So what would you say are the main factors contributing to your success up to this point? And I'm not really looking for like marketing techniques or anything like that, more of the mindset um, type types of factors, Brad. And this could even go back to, you know, your, your high school sports days or whatever. But, you know, looking at where you are today, if you had to pick maybe three things that are key to where you are today and what you're excited about in the future and what's been the foundation of that, what would those three things be? That's a great question, because when you started to ask that question, I was going to immediately <laughs> go towards things like, what are we doing for marketing in our sales process? But I think what you touched on is more important. Um, I talked a little bit about my background and kind of my family history, but um, I, I was just very, very hungry, very, very frustrated, um, not really having, you know, I had this baseball career lined up, and that's how I was going to pay for school, and it all got taken away from me. And I struggled to pay my own tuition through college and working nights and weekends and bartending and studying. And, you know, that kind of builds up a lot of frustration. I, I don't want to, you know, quite call it anger, but it definitely builds this hunger and this drive of, you know, this just isn't, this is not going to be what it's like for me. I'm going to figure out a way to do something great. I'm going to do something to provide for my family. And, and then even the struggles that we all have and that I had this first year or two in the industry, I mean, it just, uh, it kind of, it hardens you. I, I definitely think it hardens you in a good way. But I think my own kind of my passion for helping people, and I love educating and helping people, 
But I would say as far as the business growth itself, it's much more that ability of just really being hungry for that next challenge, really being hungry to set a goal and not veer or do anything else and just be laser focused until I can achieve that goal and then create a new one. And um, just really, I, I hate losing. And <laughs> it's just if I set a goal of a growth of a company, it's just like anything else for me. If I don't hit that, I can't stand the thought of not hitting it even more so than the joy that I get if I do get it, right? If you actually hit it, you're great, we hit it, let's set a new higher goal and move on. But, you know, God forbid you don't actually hit it. It's just that, that, that I hate that, that feeling. And so I, I think for me personally, that's just kind of a, an attitude I've had for a long time. And I'm sure sports had a big uh, contribution to that as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I've heard a lot of entrepreneurs say that they hate losing more than they love winning, and that's what causes them to win a lot, just that utter hatred and despair for feeling like either you came up short on your own goals, because many of us are competing with ourselves, right? So we either came up short on our own goals or, or we're measuring ourselves with other people and losing. So that's that's an interesting um, thing. I also like what you said about being hungry. I think about this a lot with my kids because I have a 25-year-old and, and then my youngest is uh, 16. I've got four boys. And you know, I wonder if they're hungry enough. I'm always cautious about making the road a little too easy for them because um, it's hard to uh, be successful and you know, be able to travel anywhere we want and do the things we want, buy the cars we want, take the vacations we want without thinking twice. And then I think about, well, I wouldn't be where I was if it was easy for me. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Those, these are all great things for us to think about as entrepreneurs and business owners. Now, let me ask you about that, that hunger and that frustration and the fact that you hate losing and so on. Is Dave, your partner, the same way or is he more of the steady you know, long-term, I've been in the business for 40 years, and what's the personality like, Dave? How does it, how does it mix inside your, your firm? Uh, well, you know, hopefully I won't speak too much for him. I'm sure he's got his own thoughts, but I, I think at this point, as close as him and I are, and we're very close, um, I can probably answer that. You know, obviously, given the age difference, you know, I, I think it's inevitable that I would have more of that, you know, hunger and drive still, as, as opposed to Dave, who's who he definitely still has that. I mean, he's always looking to grow with me, and he loves the challenges. But, you know, before he had met me and he was his own company, you know, as a, when you're in your 60s, I have to assume that a lot of that is just enjoying all of the hard work and all of the knowledge you've built under your belt and kind of having this system in place where you're doing the business that you want to do and maybe not as laser-focused on doubling or tripling the business every year. Um, I'm much more of the kind of analytical person, the numbers person, the wanting to have the trajectory of growth and build more employees and build more marketing efforts. Um, Dave is a lot more of kind of the emotional and personable and relationship person. So he, and, and that's part of where our, we fit really well as a partnership too, is kind of when we do joint meetings, especially on, um, on certain clients, it's kind of nice for me to come in and build out the plan and, you know, be the numbers geek and show where everything's going and for him to kind of emotionally relate to the client and just want to have the relationship with the person ongoing beyond that. And so hopefully I didn't dance around your question too much there, Joel, but no, no, I think it was good. And I, I, you know, I would never know want you to speak for Dave. I just, uh, there's gotta be an interesting dynamic of, of obviously two people you're on the, you know, you're, you're newer in life and in business. Uh, and I hope that you don't take that the wrong way, but you're newer in life and in business. He's a veteran. There's certain wisdom that comes with that. Um, you know, I'll sometimes get real uptight about something and I'll have an older guy go, dude, 
you're going to look back on this and it's not that big of a deal and you're just really letting it wreck your day here. And uh, But at the same time, that uptightness and that frustration that I feel has also fueled this business that we're enjoying right now. So I was just kind of interested more in the dynamic. Tell me about the firm structure, Brad. Um, you've got you and Dave, uh, partners and owners of the firm. Uh, how many employees do you have? How is the firm organized as far as different departments and so on? Just tell us a little bit about that. Well, the way it's organized now um, is uh, almost 100% attributed to you um, and the Rainmaker course last year and just uh, Jenna Rainey um, and her team and a lot of the resources that I've taken really seriously over the past two years. If I take you back three years ago when we first started our firm, it was Dave and myself, and then we had one assistant, Charlene. So not even three years ago, that's where we were at. Charlene would handle absolutely everything that Dave and I didn't do. Um, and Dave and I were obviously the only producers. We'd meet with a lot of clients. We closed business. It was what it was. Um, then we hired my first um, kind of full-time service and business processor, Ruby, uh, who's phenomenal. We went through AE Coach uh, and Generani to do that, which I we've done that a few times since. I, I couldn't recommend them anymore if I tried. Then about eight, nine months ago, um, that department, Ruby was just taking on way too much and we were turning in more and more business. So we hired Tressa. Um, so we have two people that work full time in the new business and service departments. And what we've already found out is that it's taking them way too long to process all of the applications and business in our uh, firm because they're also kind of backup phone calls for Charlene. And so now we are bringing on um, next month another person that will be underneath Charlene's department because now we've basically delegated Charlene to do nothing but appointment setting, calendar management, and just a few other kind of office administrative things. But she is a phenomenal appointment setter and a phenomenal person at managing our crazy calendar, which is the lifeblood, um, is certainly you've come to teach me, of any firm. And so we want her doing nothing but that. So we're going to bring in another person now to be the other main kind of phone call person, confirming people for seminars, stuff like that. So we'll have two people in that department. Um, last year, we hired a full-time marketing person. We had nobody who was responsible for marketing um, up until about eight, nine months ago. We hired Diane to do that. It was just Dave and I as the only producers up until last year. Um, we brought in a friend of Dave's um, who had also been at the Mass Mutual firm for a number of years, more of a life guy, um, but does is investment licensed. Um, his name's Ken. And then we went through Grayling, um, based off your advice, and we hired Andrew, um, who's another 28-year-old. He's my age, and he's a stud. Um, and we got him from, uh, you know, the AXA firm, um, you know, basically wherever Grayling found him, but those typical firms you would, you would think of. So now we've got two other people um, that, are, that are in sales other than just Dave and I. We've got two people in new business and service in Ruby and Tressa. We've got Charlene, but then we'll have another person, kind of the backup appointment setter for her, Diane in marketing. Um, we have a bookkeeper that pretty much works off-site and then meets with us, you know, kind of once a month or once a quarter in person with the CPAs as needed. So that's more of a part-time role, but we have a bookkeeper there. And I am going to be interviewing a person this afternoon, actually, who's been working for this guy at LPL, um, and he does everything from prep all the appointments, all the portfolio analysis, does all the trading, um, answers phone calls for clients, does a lot of the reviews, a lot of deliveries, and a lot of that. And so I don't know if he's going to come in and want to perennially be more of that kind of quote-unquote uh, service advisor, which I know is a term you love, Joel, but um, you know I don't know what else to label it. 
um, or if he wants to grow over time and become a full kind of associate advisor too. And I'm taking kind of adopting your advice, which is, you know, you and I together over time will uh, we'll figure out, you know, if you're great at what you're doing here at the firm, what role you best fit in on more of that sales side or not. And we'll probably hire, regardless of what Gabe does, we'll hire another full-time sales associate as well because, um, again, the, the business is there and uh, we need more associate advisors to be good salespeople um, and handle those appointments. So, so <laughs> that's exciting, and that was kind of a whirlwind. So June 1st of 2013, it was you and Dave and Charlene, yep. and I just counted between the people you're interviewing, you've said you're going to hire probably over the next 90 days. I've got 11 people, in cl- including you, Dave, and uh, yeah, you, Dave, and Charlene. So that's uh, that's pretty awesome. You've grown from three to 11 in, in three years. And you know, I remember when I was in a Northwestern Mutual system, this guy told me, you hire somebody and you'll make three times what you pay them, but it'll take you 18 to 24 months to make that. And, uh, and that was kind of all I needed at the time to know that I don't have to, you know, make the money this month to pay that new employee this month, that it'll all come if I continue to invest in people in the firm and so on. So, so that's exciting to hear that kind of growth. What, what would you say, um, let, let's kind of shift here a little bit, Brad, and go to the uh, breakdown of your before unit of your business, which is, of course, everything you do to create these face-to-face appoint- appointments that you and Dave are seeing. Uh, your during unit, which is the sales process, and then, of course, the servicing and so on. But let's talk about the, the marketing that you're doing up front. And give me the three categories of marketing, and then I want to come back to something that you've told me about that you're excited about, you shared with the Rainmaker Group. But well, what are the, the basic marketing things you're doing right now to create new appointments with prospects and to re-engage maybe older relationships that you have with existing clients? Our main funnel has always been radio. In fact, that was the only funnel we had up until about a year ago, I would say. Um, so we, when I met Dave, he had already been doing his own radio show um, that was titled Safe Money Radio at the time. And again, he was a fixed-only guy, so compliance-wise, he was able to have a show like that, and which was basically the annuity show dancing around the word annuity, right? It, it was what it was. Um, so about a year and a half ago, not even, um, we morphed the show to have me on it and we re- re- rebranded the show Retire Right with Epstein and White. And so we go through, and we also switched and started using um, AE's retirement you know, show, Retirement News Network show. So that, that's our radio show, which is an hour-long show that we do. We record the show ahead of time so it's not live. And then that show plays three times on the weekends. Um, on the two major conservative AM stations that we have in San Diego, which is KFMB 760 and Kogo 600. So it's 6 to 7 AM on Saturday morning, which is not the ideal one of the three, but then the two Sunday morning are are the bigger drivers, which is 8 to 9 AM on KFMB and 10 to 11 AM on Kogo. And what's the approximate amount of, of calls that you get off of that weekend's worth of radio shows? And I've been looking at that. We have been getting an average of 13 and a half calls per weekend, of which two of the last four weeks have been lower counts. One show in particular we did. We just shouldn't have done that topic. But um, not to get long-winded, it's about 13 and a half calls on, a, on an average weekend we're getting. And uh, I think this is instructive for people listening. Are you offering a some kind of a report or a white paper, or are you doing a direct call to action? If people are calling, they know they're calling to request an appointment. We 
changed that. Dave used to just offer kind of his own safe money book a few years ago, and we were getting more phone calls in that 20 per week average, sometimes some more, but they were very weak calls um, as far as just wanting the book and really hard to get them in. And so when we did retire right with Epstein and White, our call to action has exclusively always been um, come in to get an appointment. This is the value you will get, which is, you know, blank, blank, and blank. But you are coming in to go to our process, leave your checkbooks at home. There's no obligations. This is a conversation to see if there's something that we can do. You've got questions. I know you do. And you need someone that you can get answers to without feeling that you're pressured or sales or, or whatever my call to action is. But the call to action is very specifically to come in for an appointment. Great. And so what, what other means of marketing are you doing other than radio? You said a few years back you were just doing radio, which makes me think you're doing some other things. Well, we've started implementing seminars. Um, now, that's kind of the interesting thing that you had mentioned or, or one of the things that's really allowed us to take off as a firm. Um, Dave and his wife bought the commercial building that we're in, which is about a 17,000-square-foot commercial building. So, you know, we own the building now. We took our office space, but we also kept about 2,500 square feet for our own conference center, um, which can seat about 50 people. It's got a 90-inch flat-screen TV up there that we can, if we want to, you know, have something up there on the screen that we can do. And so we wanted to start doing regular seminars. And when we did our radio show topics, right, obviously we talk about different things every week, but we kept getting by far the most traction, the most phone calls when we would do the subject of Social Security, which is probably no different than a lot of producers have found is that it's a very um, you know, hot topic. People want to call in about it. But the problem that a lot of people seem to have is that you get the wrong people calling or you get the wrong phone calls, people that maybe don't have any assets, and just want to know about Social Security, or maybe people that just have other brokers and advisors and they feel that they're happy, or do-it-yourself investors, but the one thing they don't know is Social Security. So I wanted to create a very specific Social Security seminar for people because what I kept noticing time and time again is that people would come in and say, you know, hey, if I'm going to live longer than 80 or 85 years old, you know, I've got this Social Security reporter, I've talked to this other expert, and they say that I should make sure that I wait as long as possible to take Social Security. And depending on when they retire, let's say they retire at 62, depending on what their overall income needs are, if they don't have huge pensions or other things, then they need to generate a lot of income at 62. And if they weren't taking Social Security, they'd be draining their portfolio assets that much quicker, which has a real negative effect to their plan. So these people would come in from these kind of initial Social Security plugs we would do on a radio, and I would take them through the process, and I would take them through my planning software and toggle back and forth of when they took Social Security. And we kept empirically proving to people that it's not a good idea to wait till 70, even if you live a long time, just because of some other specificities of your plan and your situation. And it was kind of an aha moment of, you know, I should, I mean, people were just, they loved it. Um, when they would go through our sales process, they'd become clients. They got so much value out of hearing a different message of Social Security than anybody else would teach them. And so we wanted to start marketing it. Now, on the two radio stations that we do here, um, what we did is we hired the everyday um, radio show host, some, the popular radio show host, we hired them to do campaigns for us every month. So what they do is we've got 60-second spots, um, a guy named Mike Slater on the KFMB side, um, and, and actually this year we've got Sean Hannity on the Kogo side, which was a pretty exclusive deal that we got. But rather than, you know, you pay for a certain amount of, um, a certain amount of the 60 seconds to play, you know, over the month. Yep. So what we would do is we would host these Social Security events. Um, we'd promote them. 
by just basically hiring different other radio personnel to say a certain amount of 60-second spots to drive traffic to a social security event. But we would basically do, instead of evenly play those spots throughout a month, we would not play any for the two weeks that seminars weren't going on, and we would just double up on the amount of airtime for the two weeks prior to the social security events. And so we started doing seminars every month back in about June, July this past year. Um, and we don't do it on our own show. We don't want to cannibalize our own call to action. Uh, we don't send out seminar mailers. Um, we just drive traffic through these other radio show personnel, and they fill up the room. And it's the way that we give this social security presentation that makes that's the only important part is you have to do the social security presentation a certain way that makes people with assets understand that no matter what they learn at that social security seminar, they have to come to your office to tell you all the specifics about them. And you have to take them through the exact same sales process you would take anyone else in, regardless of somebody in the first five minutes of that meeting says, I'm only here for social security. And Let me stop you right there because there's some real there's some real nuggets here. And when you described this to me back in our elite group, I think we had you share it with the room, correct? Yeah, we did. So there's a couple of things here. One is because I did a Social Security seminar and it was no fun because, you know, we had people there that wanted to know if they should take Social Security at 67 years old in two months or 71 and a half. And we did a lot of analysis and it was just, you know, it, it, it was not exciting. It was not an exciting group, but it wasn't the Social Security. And what I want people to hear is this. It's not that Social Security seminars don't work. It's the way they're being positioned has been ineffective. And what you've done here with the positioning of the seminar, which is basically, look, if you don't have any money, you're not saying this, but if you don't have any money, the Social Security decision is really simple. But if you have assets, then it's not a black and white deal. Social Security needs to be looked at as just a portion of what all your other assets are. And depending on the way you have your other investments and so on set up is going to make all the difference in the world of the way you utilize Social Security. And positioning it that way is first of all, only attracting people with assets. And especially what you told me in Nashville there was you're getting a lot of real wealthy people because of that positioning, not only because they want to find out how Social Security coordinates with their assets, because all want to make sure they're getting the most out of Social Security. So it's the positioning of your seminar that I think is brilliant because there's no question like when I go on my TV show on Sunday morning, if I give away a social security guide, we will get three to four times the amount of requests. I mean, we're talking in the hundreds of requests than we will if I'm giving away some other basic financial piece. So people want to talk about social security. And what I think you've found the secret of or the key is positioning it properly so it's about making your social security decision work with all your other investment assets and the subtle message there is if you don't have other investment assets this doesn't take a lot of planning but if you do have other investment assets this is a really important thing the other thing that you said that i think is great and that we talk about a lot in rainmaker is don't confuse offers don't have a radio show or a commercial spot where you're offering, oh, call for your social security report or come in for an appointment, either or. So you're segmenting your offers. So those commercials that are voiced by Sean Hannity and the local celebrity are specific to the social security question. And your show, your call to action on your show is staying true to the appointment. And I think that's that's so important that we don't, can, so many of us confuse offers and hopefully we've learned enough now in the group that we're in 
where you see confusing offers come across the airwaves. You hear them on radio, you see them on TV, and you can spot it right away. And yet, how many of us are guilty of that? So I love the fact, number one, you positioned this differently, which you came up with completely on your own, and I think it's great. Uh, And then the second thing is you haven't confused the offer. You kept your radio offer pure. Your radio show offer is to come in for an appointment. The commercials you're doing with the local spokespeople or national in the case of Hannity, the call to action there is get the Social Security seminar info or come on into a Social Security. So so kudos to that. Do you want to say anything else on, on this? Because um, it's obvious I think you've kind of cracked the code on this and a lot of us can go back and take what's been frustrating, which is doing a Social Security seminar and maybe modify that to really capture some some big assets because you've been real successful in capturing some quite large clients this way, correct? Yeah, uh, you know, I can tell you our overall numbers last year, you know, Dave and I, we did about 36 million of combined assets between AUM and annuities. And right now, I was just taking a look at our pipeline this year. We've turned in um, almost $16 million for January and February. And I would say a good half of that is from Social Security events that we're just taking people through the pipeline on right now. You know, we had a $2.5 million client and a $2.8 million client um, as an example that we took, took in from that. So it is people with bigger assets that are interested in that because they're getting a different story. That, and I think that builds inherent trust. When you can prove to someone that you're skilled as a complete, comprehensive financial planner just by how you can differentiate yourself on actually taking things like time value of money and the opportunity cost of your investments with Social Security, they're very eager to go through the rest of that process with you, and they're very open to listen to things with you, like how you can reduce your risk if you mix and, and still have a good return if you mix in some of these asset center, or whatever it is that we would normally take someone through a sales process with. It builds a little bit of that inherent trust that this, this guy or gal knows what they're doing, right? You know, I do want to add a couple things, though, to make sure that it's clear as far as what we're doing on this event, because I really do think it's an opportunity for everybody out there. I've just, I've seen it. I know that it is. First and foremost, you do want to advertise it like a Social Security event, right? You want to give value that this is a Social Security event, because it is the topic itself that attracts more people than any other topic. And just like anything else, you do have to understand it's a numbers game, right? So yes, no matter how you market it, to your point, which we do market it as a problem for people with assets, obviously you're still going to get plenty of people that come in that really don't have that many assets. And you know what? That's okay. Because if I have 50 households that show up and 30 of them have assets and 20 don't, I'll take that all day long. And we're like you, Joel, as a firm, which is we take a lot of pride in helping everybody that comes through the door. And so if some people come through the door and they have no assets, then yeah, it's pretty easy for us, right? We give them a social security report after that first meeting. We you know, politely tell them you should work as long as possible and wait as long as possible because the biggest part of your retirement pie is Social Security, and you need to maximize that. And we're fine doing that. We like helping people that need help. But the numbers game also brings in all these people with assets that may not have come to a traditional seminar that was talking about investments or something else that they already, quote-unquote, felt that they had a good handle on, right? And so you have to kind of take that numbers game into consideration. But then to your point, it's the positioning, right? It's very, very clear at the beginning of my seminar, I will tell, I'll, I'll look at the room, and I'll tell them, how would you guys like it if I could mathematically prove to you that taking Social Security is better at 62, even if you live a long time, right? And of course, everybody's raising their hands. They're excited. And then in the very next breath, it's, well, how would you guys also like it if I could mathematically prove that taking Social Security at 70 is better for you? And then they all kind of, you know, groan and laugh. And, you know, that's right. It depends. Did you guys know that the size of your investment portfolio completely dictates how you take Social Security when you retire? 
completely dictates your Social Security. Do you have legacy goals or not? Depends how you take Social Security. What's your tax situation? Right, guys, you know, never take financial advice from somebody that doesn't know your own specific situation. Okay, and, and so, you know, you kind of train them right out of the gate. And then I would say, really, the 80% of my seminar is exactly like everybody else's. I talk about all of the rules of Social Security, all of the, you know, I go through the whole Social Security gamut for really the next 80% of the seminar. But then I have this specific planning software that, that I can take a quick snapshot of and just kind of show someone an example of, here's someone who takes Social Security at 65 versus 70. And when you look at Social Security in a vacuum, for this example I have, it says that these people, if they live till 90, we'd get an extra, you know, $138,000, I think it is. And so I'll say that's the mistake, is there's plenty of people out there that know Social Security very well, and they only look at it in a vacuum. But they're not great financial planners for a living. And then there are plenty of great financial planners for a living that just don't take the time to learn a lot of the intricacies of Social Security. So it's these hands that don't talk to the body. You know, and if you have, and then you then you close out the way you would probably close out any seminar, which is, look, if you guys have your own trusted relationship and you actually feel that they're they, they're a specialist in retirement income planning, right? Not just a broker or someone helping with investments, then great. But you have to go take this information and apply it to your personal situation. Uh, of course, part of our value pitch is that since you took valuable time out of your week to come here, that you have the right to have. Um, an hour of me or my team's time, and we will completely solve this problem for you. I promise when you come to the meeting, we won't have the excuse to say it depends anymore. We'll give you something specific. You'll know exactly how to take Social Security. And if you have other questions on investments or anything else, of course, we're happy to answer those when you come see us as well. You just, you ha- it's the positioning itself of just training them right out of the gate. That it depends on everything else you're doing. And they basically sign off on the right for you to take them through your normal sales process, you, you've, you know, that kind of Bowie's and, you know, you've asked for permission ahead of time, right? And you ask that yeah. permission. And so even when you go to that very first meeting, because I had a couple of associate advisors that I found out were relinquishing to that. You know, people would come in and say, you know, hey, I'm pretty interested in Social Security. And I had to kind of scold them in so many words of, look, I, of course they're going to say that. When someone comes in and says that, your answer is, great. Well, as you heard Brad say, we can only answer your Social Security problem if we apply it to the rest of your overall situation. So I'm going to be a great listener today and you know, get an idea of your overall situation, build you the comprehensive plan, and on our next meeting, we'll go over how you take Social Security. That's, that's, uh, that's awesome. I mean, there's just so much... There's so much wisdom in, in the last five minutes of what you just said as far as the positioning, the way you're doing the seminar, the fact that uh, you know it's okay if you actually attract people that aren't qualified to be our clients. It's not a big deal. It's part of the that's part of the deal. Um, you know, Walmart doesn't have a uh, Walmart doesn't have a, a block at the driveway of their parking lot, and in order to get into the parking lot, um, you have to prove you're going to buy something that day. They just let everybody come into the store, and some people buy, and some people don't. I don't know if that's a great example, but you know, sometimes we get hung up on the wrong things. And so I love that philosophy. I love the way you're positioning the appointment and also making sure that our associate advisors are saying what we're saying. We forget how good we are sometimes as highly productive and experienced producers that have done hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of meetings, and we'll bring in new associates or even associates that have been with for a while that sometimes drift off what we call the reservation uh, here in our firm when people start doing their own thing without being aware of it and you know bringing them back and saying no 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 here's how you position the appointment here's how you do the appointment you go forward under the premise that we need all the information to do it so so I love that 
Um, anything else on the Social Security seminar or any other marketing you're doing? It sounds like you're getting, first of all, I did a little calculation. Your, your run rate is, is to almost triple your business this year as far as assets brought in. Is that about right? Yeah. Um, I, set a ba- I, set a, I set a goal before the year started to do $48 million of total business, which would have been, what, $12 million more than last year. So that would have added about 33% to it. And um, we're we're blown by it so far. So that's that's awesome. And, uh, and again, are you main, doing the main difference? Really, is is the, those seminars, and that's the only real main difference that we, we've done. So great, great. So if we were sitting here three years from today, Brad, and you were looking back at the firm, and maybe this is you and David, um, or maybe this is just you, you know, what what had to have happened over the last three years to for you to be happy with your progress? Um, this is the good old Dan Sullivan three-year question. So if it's March of 2019 and you're looking back over those three years that have just passed, what had to happen for you to be excited? Uh, I've actually given this a lot of thought, again, just through our process over this last year or two. Um, really over these last few years, it's still been me um, that's kind of had my hands on every possible part of the firm. Uh, every little problem kind of somehow seemed to make its way you know, up to Brad, um, working 60 hours a week. And, and that was fine um, before I, you know, again, met my, my girlfriend and my stepson. And now I've got a reason to want to kind of have a little bit more of life balance um, in there. So a lot of the hiring that I've done um, has been a huge, just kind of a vision of, you know, oh my gosh, we can actually grow without it being just this terrifying feeling of trapping me into it. And so three years from now, um, I don't want to be in charge of handling any uh, client phone call complaints that aren't the specific kind of 25 AA plus clients that I'm going to kind of keep under my own belt. Um, I don't want to deal with any of that. Um, I am going through that Colby system. I have definitely learned that what I love about this business is I love doing the seminars and the radio. Um, I feel that I've got a talent for that and I bring it in. And I love designing the sales process and teaching my advisors of, and helping them come in and close big cases on how I present and close. So I would that that's the stuff that gives me energy, you know, and that makes me feel good. And so three years from now, um, that's really what would make me pleased and happy is to have a good kind of six, you know, five or six good full-time associate advisors have more people in each of the departments I have now. Because one of the main things too is I don't want my my employees to feel overwhelmed. I was constantly overwhelming them with the growth that we've had the last few years, and you know, it makes me feel bad um, as an owner if they're constantly stressed out or feeling like we're understaffed. And so. For me to just have a firm where everybody feels like they can stay in their lanes, they can just do the things that give them energy, that they have plenty of support and that they're not taking on too many roles, and that includes myself, and I'm no longer doing first appointments at all, um, which I've already started to implement for the most part, which is uh, great. And so if I don't have to do first appointments at all, if I can just come in and help close on certain appointments, do the radio, do those leads, um, that, would be, uh, that, that's, that would be equal happiness for me. That would equal success. And then beyond that, um, from a production standpoint, you know, I don't, I don't know how tangible I want those goals to be, but um, you know, I, I, I'd like to think that we can do a uh, hundred million uh, of overall assets in a year, three years from now. But based That's off awesome. where we're going right now, I don't know if I'm going to change those or revamp those. But that was my initial thought for our phone call: is a uh, hundred million in assets uh, in, a, in a given year, three years from now. Well, it sounds like you're well on your way. You've already brought in, what'd you say, sixteen million in the first two months. So do the math there, buddy. You're already at ninety six. So you're you're do you're doing great. Um I love how clear you are on the goals and I think it's really important what you said about making sure every employee is in their lane. So it's not just about you as a business owner working in your unique ability. 
with the things that give you energy, but it's also structuring the firm so that those, those, those employees that are there supporting you and your vision uh, are able to stay in their lane also. You use that specific word, their lane, meaning they're also working in their unique abilities. And that's a real challenge as we grow too because we want to be firms that are moving and changing and experimenting and so on, but they're not necessarily everybody is built like us. And and uh, you were really crystal clear on that. So I'm excited. Is there anything you want to add before we begin to wrap up here, Brad? Any thoughts? Anything? No, I don't know that there's really anything else too much to add for that. Uh, again, I just think that the, you know, 30 heads are better than one mentality, um, all the things that we can share with each other when we go to these type of groups, you know, obviously that could be hundreds of heads if we talk about journeys and World Series of Sales and just the relationships we have overall. But even in things like our small groups, um, we all learn a lot from each other, and we grow from each other, and 30 heads are better than one. And so uh, for me, that's been the biggest kind of eye-opener. Just keep your eyes and your ears open. Just keep an open mind to certain things and be willing to just steal what other people have already learned through their own trial and errors. Um, figure out what's applicable to your business. And I think that one other thing you taught me more than anything else, too, is that it, uh, if it doesn't align with your specific goals, then just don't do it. Right? There's a million things that sound like shiny objects all the time, and I used to get way too wrapped up in trying to implement 50 things where nothing would get implemented, as opposed to the top two or three things. Get that done. Don't get distracted anything else, and just keep going forward from there. So. Well, you've obviously got a crystal clear vision on where you want to go, and, and I think you've got a lot of wisdom on what you like to do, where you add the most value to the business. And I, I'm excited to see you and Dave just uh, really knock the cover off the ball to use a baseball terminology, sorry about that. Uh, but, uh, you know, really knock the cover off the ball over the next few years. It's going to be exciting. You're in such a great market there in San Diego, too. You know, tons of people, very diverse population, um, not just ethnically, but socioeconomically in different industries and so on. And there's just a, a massive opportunity. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the growth. So, Brad, thank you so much. Um, I know you've helped a lot of people by being on this podcast, and I'll look forward to seeing you in a few months here um, at the next Rainmaker Evolution meetings. And, um, you know, as always, call me if I can uh, be of any help. I'm a big fan of you and Dave's, and uh, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Joel, again, I can't thank you enough for um, all that you've taught us and organizing the groups. Um, If there's anything ever that I could do, um, obviously not just for you, but anybody that's listening, um, I've taken a couple specific phone calls about the social security events or done a couple shared screens on a couple of the things that I've done. So um, I learn a lot and I've taken a lot of pride in stealing from pretty much everybody else I'm around. This feels kind of nice to maybe actually share something else. Uh, for once, and I'd, I'd love to do that. So uh, if anybody or if I can help in any way, um, please let me know as well. So thank you again, Joel. Great. Thank you, Brad. And thank all of you for tuning in to another Rainmaker Revolution podcast. We will talk to you all soon.